Good morning, North Shore. How's everybody doing today? Good? As Scott mentioned, it is Super Bowl Sunday, but I'm not going to go into that for obvious reasons. <laughs> you know, it's also Groundhog Day. How many people are excited about that? Huh? Yeah, Punxsutawney Phil and all that? I tell you what, if he lived in Washington, he would have drowned about two weeks ago. It's the first time I've seen the sun in 30 days. Any of you guys excited about that? Me too. And I remember the movie. <laughs> so if we're in the movie right now, you get to listen to my sermon over and over and over and over again. <laughs> Let's hope not, right? So I'm excited to be here, you guys. Um, this book, I don't know about you, but this book has, is awesome. Philippians is, is an amazing book, one of my favorite letters that Paul has written. And imagine writing from a prison cell. I don't know about you guys, but to me that would be one of the most depressing places to write. And yet he writes with such joy and such excitement and such endurance and such hope. You can come forward with the Bibles if you'd like. Uh, if you need one, go ahead and grab one from an usher. Because we're going to dive in here in just a, a couple minutes. You know, Sanjay opened up uh, with just an amazing overview of the book of Philippians and some of the historicity of that book. Then Scott last week talked about Paul in prison, dealing with his suffering and having joy in that. And that's, that's the whole theme of this book, you guys, is joy. And we're going to dive into that in kind of a different way today as well. You know, as human beings, we want to avoid pain and pursue pleasure. This is particularly amplified here in America. Why? Because we have the resources to do that. If you just spend 15 minutes watching television ads, you can have it all, baby, right? That's the message. You can buy a truck, but you're not just buying this, this thing that can get you from point A to point B. You're buying a lifestyle. You're buying something that can take you on all those roads where nothing else can go. Every day is an adventure. You're going to be with your best friends. You're going to go camping every day, right? That's the message. 12 months, interest-free, your way, right away, same-day delivery. Stop aging. Have your best life now. Get that thirsty two-ouncer. Huh? You can have not one, not two, but three, whatever it is, if you order now, right? And here's the message. Every single one of these things is meant to make you happier, because that's our goal, right? <laughs> I don't think so. You know, Paul's hope for himself as he's in prison, as he's writing to the Philippians here, that he is finding joy in all of this. And if you have your notes there, that first box you can fill in is Paul's hope for himself is finding joy in his present reality. You see, Paul's in Rome. He's in prison. In the next two years, Rome will burn, and Nero will blame Christians, and he will put Christians up on poles, and he will use them to illuminate the streets of Rome. Even now, Paul's bold witness is beginning to cause problems for the Philippians. Now, 
They have the Roman citizenship, but soon they will be considered traitors of Rome. What will be their resolve? What will be their convictions? Will they be able to stand firm and endure what is coming? I think these are the kind of questions that Paul has for them as he writes this letter. And even now, people, this is crazy, but people are preaching the gospel in order to stir up trouble for Paul, who's in prison. Who would have thought, right? But Paul's okay with this. Because as long as Christ is being proclaimed, regardless of the motive, he says, I will rejoice. And Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. So let's read this together, this, this uh, section um, that we're going to talk about today. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 18, going through verse 30. Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. Let's pray. <sighs> Jesus, um, as I've been looking over this passage for the last several weeks, it feels really weighty. It feels really um, hard. What you're asking uh, of the Philippians and, and truly what you're asking of us. But Lord, we want to be in your will. Absolutely, 100%. We want to have our eyes fixed on you at all times. And if that means that we need to give up or give in to what you have for us, Jesus, then we want to be men and women and children that are faithful to do that. So, Lord, help us to, um, in our own hearts and minds, know what it is that you want us to do as a result of, of what you share with us today. Give us the courage to step into that and to be willing to surrender, to surrender all. It's not just a happy, clappy song, but it's, it's reality, Lord. It's what you desire us, each and every one of us, to do, to surrender our lives to you. Help us to do that, because we can't do that on our own. In Jesus' name, amen.
So Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. And he's still in prison. Why would he say this? I think it's because he's living a larger story. Right? And he sees the bigger picture. We're going to go through a, a few of the passages that we just looked at. Verse uh, 1, 19 through 22 says this, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is with my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now and as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me is to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. My friend, Paul is hoping and praying for his deliverance. He's hoping and praying that these false accusations, that this prison sentence that he's under will be vindicated, will be lifted, that he will be seen as innocent and will be let go. Why? So that he can be with the church again, so that he can be physically in their presence, so he can be honoring and glorifying to his Jesus with these people, and he can be an encouragement to them. But he's also totally fine if the Lord takes his life. I'm not sure too many of us can say that. There is nothing holding him on this earth, nothing except for his mission and his compassion for the people of God. He would just as soon be with Jesus in heaven in the very presence of his Savior. Paul is 100% sold out for Christ, for the people of his beloved churches, and for the gospel. And Paul is also finding joy in his future reality. Philippians 1, 23, 24, just a little bit further along, he says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory or rejoice in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So he's 100% committed to Jesus. Whether Jesus vindicates him, uh, releases him from prison, lets him go back to the Philippians, he is all in 100%. But if Jesus calls him home, he is 100% okay with that. I don't know if you can get any clearer. <laughs> than, this, than uh, what Paul's sharing with us right here. And Paul's hope for the Philippians and us is a little bit further on, and that's what we're going to dig into right now. Finding joy, first of all, in our life. Living in a manner worthy of the gospel. Philippians 1, 27 and through 28a says, Only let your, li your manner of life only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, 
I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. My friends, he goes, to, he goes from talking about himself and about his situation. He can't even decide whether it's more important to, to be in heaven with Christ or with these Philippians. He can go either way on this. But then he turns to them. And I think he turns to us as well. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does that look like? Is that a, a list of behavior modifications uh, or of Christian best practices? Maybe we, we can come up with those. I think it's deeper than that. If you remember that rich young ruler, what, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's feeling pretty good about himself. He's kept all the laws, right? Jesus responds, keep the Ten Commandments. Done that. Been there. Check that box. Oh, and... <laughs> Just uh, go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Oh, he left away. He, he left Jesus sad. Because he couldn't do that. He'd done all the right things, but he couldn't do that. You see, that was the one area of his life that had made him who he was. It was his identity. The blank young ruler. Rich. Right? That's the one thing that he couldn't give up. He couldn't surrender that. And I think our Savior knew that. Right? Sell everything? No, I can do that. No, it's not a prescription here. <laughs> it's different, right? It's different for every one of us. It's about surrender. Surrender does not mean giving up. It's a very passive thing to do. Okay. I'm surrendering, I just gave up. No, 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 it's giving in. It's giving in to what Christ has for you. It's giving in to what he's calling to in your life by putting our, our life and our hopes and our dreams and our plans totally in the hands of Jesus Christ. Saying everything I have is yours. What do you wanna do with me? My stuff, my life. You have it all. You created me. I had no say in it. Here I am. Right? I remember um, uh, one of our earliest pastors, Pastor Derek Duncan. I don't know if that name means anything to Oh, there we go. <laughs> okay. We got some folks here that have been around a while. So Pastor Derek Duncan, back in 2000, asked me to go to India with him. And so I did. We're going to go check out the Central India Christian Mission and um, work with Ajay and Indu Lal there. We spent 10 days in India. And we kind of went back and forth preaching in, in a few different villages. And <clears throat> this day happened to be my turn to preach. So we got in the car and we're heading out into a remote, uh, what Ajay called a tribal area. And a place that very, very few people had ever seen a a person like myself, or uh, had heard the gospel. So I was excited, and we're in the car, and we're going, you know, over these just goat trails, I'll call them. <laughs> Not even a road, really. Uh, about five hours worth. And we were about halfway through the trip, 
And Ajay, I'm sitting in the front seat, and Ajay leans forward and he says, hey, I don't want this to alarm you guys, but in this same area that we're going to, one year ago, a missionary named Graham Staines and his two young boys uh, were, were preaching the gospel here, and, and they threw them back in their Jeep, and they burned them alive, killed them. And he leaned back, and I'm like, what in the world? And I just started, you guys, it was the most silent next two hours. And I'm just, literally, I'm just thinking like, okay, Jesus, what a, okay, we're in a Land Rover, that's different. Um, I mean, we're going to the same place. I'm, it's my turn. I'm preaching the gospel. Great. Um, no, seriously, though, I, I, it was, it's the only time in my life where I literally was just looking back on my life and I was asking Jesus this very question. Have I lived my life in a manner worthy of the gospel? And I said, God, if you take my life today, there's nothing I'd rather be doing than giving your good news to these people. So it was very real to me, and I'm telling you, from that day, at least that day, to live was Christ, and to die would have been gain. And I pulled up to the village, and here's the other thing. I brought a couple of messages. I, I work with college students at the time, and I had a couple of messages I'd brought from America, you know, that I'd given to college students, and they weren't. I just knew, like, this is not what these people need. But I had no message, and I'm pulling up to the, vi the village. I like to be prepared, and I'm not prepared. And the kids are starting to come out to the vehicle. And then it was like, boom, like the Lord totally downloaded to me what needed to be said. And it was basically this. I want you to tell three stories. First story, 1 Kings 17, where Elijah's on Mount, on Mount Carmel, and he's going up against 450 prophets of Baal. Tell that story, because I want them to know that God is all-powerful, more powerful than the 60 million gods that they have. I said, okay. Second message. Tell them about the woman at the well in John 4, because I want them to know how incredibly personal I am. Secondly, or sorry, thirdly, tell them about the prodigal in Luke 15, because I want them to come home, and I want them to know how much I love them. <laughs> yes, I couldn't have. I couldn't have thought of anything better than those three stories, and I just told him. And then Ajay wrapped the whole thing up with an amazing gospel message, because that's what he does. And we saw hundreds of people come to faith and were baptized that very day. Amen. Like I said, I've never seen anything since or before that quite in that way, but I truly believe that God used that day to say, Mark, there's a new chapter opening in your life, and it's one of surrender. One of the biggest challenges, I think, as Christians today, it could be finding joy in how we invest our time and our talents and our treasure for the sake of the kingdom. I mean, imagine Jesus asking you this question. What did you do with what I gave you? 
To me, that's one of the hardest questions in the world, right? What did I do with what I gave you? Because for every single person in this room, it's different. And it's not about resources necessarily. That might be part of it, like with the rich young ruler. It might be about your talents. It might be about who you are, who he's created to be uniquely, who, you, you know, who you're involved in, the lives of the people around you. What have you done with what I gave you? I think that's the simple question that he's asking each and every one of us. How would you answer that? I'd say many of us live a very dualistic life. We come to church, we give our tithe, we serve in some capacity, maybe we fulfill some kind of a civic duty outside of church. But our motto would be more like to live as Christ, plus other pursuits like work, leisure, accumulating wealth, friends, influence. See, I think too often the plus factor becomes our primary passion. For to me, to live is my work, my hobbies, my free time, my retirement, and we hold on to those things so tight. Christ is not really our singular focus or our passion like it is in Paul's life. You know, I used to work with college students, and one of the reasons I loved working with college students is because when I would say go, they would say, when do we leave? Right? They're mostly broke. They have no money. That didn't stop them, right, for the most part. Now when, I, when we say, or when we're asked to go, we say, how's that even possible? I mean, I've got a spouse. I've got kids. I've got car payments. I've got house payment. I've got... Right? We come up with this huge list. I got a career. I got no time off. What if we could declutter and downsize our life enough to say like the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6, 8? Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. Instead of saying like I would say, but wait, Wait a minute, I have a lot of questions, <laughs> right? You guys know my wife, Sam. Well, she'd often tell the story of the discipler that she had in college, Christy Turnbull. For years, this woman, Christy, fought to make sure everything she owned could fit in the trunk of her car. And she said, because if the Lord called her to go anywhere, anywhere in the world, she needed to be able to pack up and leave right away. Wow. And in that spirit, <laughs> Sam wants to downsize. <laughs> she wants to live in a tiny house. I'm not kidding. She watches all these videos. <laughs> and the kids are out of our current house, or better yet, she wants to live in a van down by the river. I'm no Chris Farley, right? I'm like, well, where are the grandkids going to stay? I mean, how can we have visitors? If it's raining, sorry, don't come over. You have to stay outside. <laughs> if I have to go outside just to change my mind, that's not going to work. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, it's, I struggle with that, right? But I do agree. I think especially here in this country, we have too much stuff and that can distract us from what God has for us, whatever that is. 
So what does surrendering your life for the sake of the gospel look like? Paul's hope for us was also finding joy in our faith, boldly living it out with others. Philippians 1, 27 through 28 says, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction for by your salvation and that from God. You know, I remember one of the hardest conversations I ever had with my father. <clears throat> Sam and I had been married a couple years and she was working as a jewelry buyer for Lamont's. I was working on the sales floor and men's furnishings for Nordstrom. Five years into it now. We're both doing well. You know, we're, we're young yuppies growing up. Um, my dad's happy. I bought my first car. I'm wearing a suit every day. I mean, he couldn't be happier. He's not a believer, okay? So in his mind, I was being successful. And then one day, I said, Dad, I need to talk to you. I said, let's go out onto the deck. And, and I just sat down more because I couldn't stand at that point because I had to tell him something. I said, Dad, I feel like the Lord's calling me to leave Nordstrom and go work with college students. Tell them about Jesus. And I won't get paid for it. <laughs> I get to raise my own support. Woo! Yeah. So uh, let's just say that was a really difficult conversation for me to have. I, I literally could not tell him um, without just tearing up. Because I knew. Why? Because I was his only son. And I wanted him to be proud of me. I wanted to do um, what I could to please him. And I knew that this was a direction that he wasn't going to be happy about. But I did. And you know what he said to me? He just looked at me and said, Mark, you're grown up. You're making your own decisions now. Good luck. That was his blessing. But I'm telling you right now, one of the things that gave me the courage to do that was the fact that I had other peers who were willing to do the same thing, who were having conversations with their family, who were going into full-time ministry at that point. And then God began to build this team around us of people who were praying for us, who were supporting us financially, people that were like-minded, who were deeply committed to Christ's heart for the world. We had a team. We had people around us. And I think that's part of what, what Paul's saying, standing side by side, working with others in one spirit, having one mind concerning the faith of the gospel. This sounds like how God created church, isn't it? Yeah, which last time I checked was, was the hope of the world. My friends, that's what we get to do together. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and we know him. And we're called to model his love and his grace and his kindness and his salvation to those around us, right? Jesus brings hope to the hopeless. Jesus brings life to those who are experiencing death. Jesus offers immeasurable joy to those who are suffering. And in his death and resurrection, he paved the way for us to know and experience eternal life. 
and his kingdom will have no end. We have the best news in the world. And Paul's calling us to work together. To work together for the sake of the gospel so that the whole world can know him. Now that, my friends, is something to rejoice about. So finally, Paul's hope for us is finding joy in our suffering for the sake and witness of Christ. Paul says in the last uh, two verses here, Philippians 1, 29 through 30, for it, is, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. What? I mean, believe in him? I, I got it. Praise the Lord. Bring on the hallelujah chorus and all that, right? But suffer? Suffer for his sake? Or be engaged in the same conflict that Paul's living in right now? Being falsely accused, harassed, beaten, imprisoned for Christ's sake? No thanks. See, we're called to live into the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? What does that look like? Most of us want to skip right past Friday and Saturday and go right to Resurrection Sunday, right? Every Sunday is Easter Sunday. It's interesting, you guys. I remember back again when I was a college student, and I'm going to these conferences. They're called Christmas conferences right after Christmas, five days, 1,000 people together in, in a ballroom. I mean, all kinds of students from all across like five states, staff. We're having the most amazing time imaginable, right? We're hearing from these amazing guest speakers and they're preaching the word and they're standing up there and they're, they're just, they look so put together. They look so full of faith. They look just like everything is amazing, right? And I'm like, wow, these people are so full of faith. They're so godly. I just, I want to be just like them. That's what I was saying from my seat. But then I'd hear a little bit more about their story. My friends, every single one of them at some point suffered, had difficulties, trials, lost, lost people near and dear to them. Some of them lost a child. I started hearing these stories and I'm like, okay, okay, Lord, wait a minute. I want to be just like them, but I don't want to go through that. Is that possible? You guys know the answer to that, don't you? No. No, it's not possible. You see, the road to having a deep understanding and empathy for those enduring trials of many kinds or having an undying hope and optimism about the future when things seem so dark and indistinguishable, that road, yeah, that road, it has sections of suffering. It's paved with suffering. And there's no detours. I love Romans 5, 2 through 5. It says, and we rejoice. Joy keeps coming up, my friends. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also rejoice, you ready for this, in our sufferings. 
knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. My friends, what I was seeing in those people was character and endurance and hope. I just didn't know the price they had to pay to get there. And when we have the proper perspective about our suffering, it becomes so much easier to endure it and, yes, even rejoice in it. Because I'm telling you, my, my wife is a warrior, okay? She had our first son. You ready for this? Breach. If you're a woman, what am I saying right now? Ouch. Right? She had him backwards, our first son. Doctor didn't know it until he was down the birth canal. It was too late to push him back up again. He was coming backwards. All these extra pers uh, medical personnel in there, these emergency doctors, not supposed to do that with a first-time mom, right? She had no epidural. She didn't want one. And if she's in the room, she's not here right now. You can ask her next time you see her. She would say, I would do it again. I love childbirth. Why? You could ask her about that. But I think it's because the indescribable joy that our children have brought us over the last years has made enduring that kind of suffering worth it. And here's a promise in James 1 through 12, because maybe you're ready for that now. Blessed is the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. God doesn't waste pain and suffering on anything. It's not accidental. He uses that for his glory and for us as well, right? To bring endurance, to build character, and to bring hope. You know, I, I remember those times in my life when I was challenged to take that next step in my faith, to come forward, to raise my hand, to, I remember, to, to commit to going to China or to Siberia or whatever it was. And those moments have become markers or signposts in my life, defining moments where I can honestly say that the trajectory of my life was forever changed for the sake of the gospel. I'd like to read something to you right now. It's, it's a, kind of a declaration. It's not, you know, Bible uh, verses or anything, but it's just a declaration that I remember um, sharing with college students back in the day, and they ended up putting it on a T-shirt. <laughs> I'm not saying we need to do that, but just I hope at least parts of what you're going to read as I'm speaking will resonate in your heart. It's called, I am a disciple. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. 
I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by love. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven. My road is narrow, my way is rough. My companions few, my guide reliable, my mission is clear, I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. And when he comes for his own, as I lay on my face before my king and my God, may he gently raise my chin, look me in the eye, and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. My friends, as we wrap things up here today, again, some of the most um, life-changing experiences I've ever had are when I've been called to do something, to respond in some fashion. And so as you've heard this message, as you've experienced the life of Paul a little bit today, as you've even heard the words of, of that declaration there, I'm going to invite us, those of us who want to take the next step, the next step in surrendering to Christ. I want to be careful here to say, I'm not saying everyone here has to become a missionary, quit your job, go overseas. I'm not saying that. Maybe for some of you, that's exactly what the Lord is telling you. But for many of us, he's calling you to surrender right where you're at. And what does that look like in your family, at your work, with your peers? What does that look like? Maybe you're having to endure really difficult things right now. And Christ is saying, just give it to me. Just put it in my hands. Or maybe you're asking for the boldness and the courage to be a witness for Christ in your workplace and you've had a really hard time doing that. Just come. We're gonna have the worship team come up here right now. We're gonna have um, anyone here that's on the prayer team come up here right now. And we wanna pray with you. We wanna pray that God will give you the courage to take the next step, whatever that is, you know what it is. Or maybe you don't know what it is, but you're asking God, what is the next step for me to step forward to surrender my life. So as um, the music begins to play here, 
come forward. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to see what the Lord has in mind for you as you surrender and continue to surrender your life for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the church. Thank you.